0: Even before the first coronavirus case was confirmed in the U.S. in January, Dr. Anthony Fauci and his team at the NIH had started developing a vaccine.
1: Our job, our business, is emerging infectious diseases. And when it became clear that we were dealing with a brand new virus that had emerged, you know, from the middle of China in the Wuhan district, we knew very little about it. But the one thing that was clear to me then is that if, in fact, this turns out to be something that is formidable, that we need to deal with, the time to start working on a vaccine is now.
0: That process to create a COVID vaccine has been moving faster than any vaccine in history. By March, there were vaccines in phase two clinical trials. And since July, several vaccines have entered what should be the final phase—
1: phase three. And the fact that we started the vaccine development early was fortuitously a very, very good thing because we're now well into the phase three testing of more than one vaccine. Not only the one that we were involved with, with our vaccine research center, but a number of candidates that we're now facilitating the development of. But
0: even if these vaccines do get approved, another massive effort will need to get underway, vaccinating hundreds of millions of Americans. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, September 17th. Coming up on the show, Dr. Anthony Fauci, on when we can expect a vaccine to be widely available, and what life may be like once we have one.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply.
0: We spoke to Dr. Fauci last night from his home office. What's on the wall behind you?
1: Well, well let me see.
0: There are some pictures.
1: Pictures. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's um, me talking to Dick Cheney, me in Iraq, me with the president, President George W. Bush, when I got the Presidential Medal of Freedom, me in the Situation Room with Barack Obama, and me at the NIH with Barack Obama.
0: Representing both sides of uh, the aisle?
1: Completely, completely apolitical, as always.
0: So— We're six months into the pandemic. What are you watching most closely now?
1: Good question. There are two things that I'm watching. I'm watching things from a public health standpoint, and I'm watching the science for which I'm responsible for a fair amount of it in developing safe and effective vaccines and therapeutics. So from the public health standpoint, the thing I'm most concerned about and watching carefully is as we now continue to try to open up the country getting college kids back to school, in some regions getting children back to school, in some areas opening up to get employment back, that we don't do it in a way that again leads to surges. So that's the reason why we talk about the wearing of masks, the physical distancing, the avoiding crowds, washing of hands. They sound very simplistic, but they really do work in preventing the kind of surges that we see. Now, that's public health measures. The thing I'm obviously very interested in, because we're very much involved in it, is the development of safe and effective vaccines, as well as therapeutics.
0: So this is what we really want to focus on in this interview. Vaccine development and the rollout. How close is the U.S. to having a vaccine? And how close are we to having a vaccine that's widely available?
1: Well, first of all, there's no guarantee. And I think that we keep getting ahead of ourselves. Having said that, I feel reasonably optimistic that we will have a vaccine that we know is safe and effective by November or December. So let us say by the end of this year, we have a vaccine that we feel fairly confident is safe and effective. Right now, doses are being produced. So in the beginning of the year, likely the first people will get it. And we haven't decided definitively because recommendations have been made by various committees. But one of the groups is gonna be the first line responders, the healthcare providers who are putting themselves in harm's way. Another high priority group are people who are susceptible to a severe outcome if they do get infected. Those are the elderly and people with underlying conditions, which have an overrepresentation among them of minority individuals. When you talk about the susceptibility to hospitalization, when you ask, when will we have a situation where there will be vaccine distributed so widely that there will be a blanket of protection in the country that we can start thinking about getting back? to some form of normality. I think that is going to be towards the middle to end of 2021.
0: And what percentage of the population is that, where you can have enough people vaccinated that we can return to normality?
1: Well, it's a combination of how effective the vaccine is and how many people wind up getting vaccinated, how many people are willing to get vaccinated. So, you know, if you have a 98 percent effective vaccine like measles, then you're going to have a degree of herd immunity that if you get 90 percent of the people vaccinated, you have a veil of protection that you're not going to have any infections and you can eliminate. I would hope that we're going to get a very effective vaccine. I would be satisfied with a 75 percent effective vaccine. And when you have a vaccine that isn't totally effective, then you need more and more people vaccinated. So what we're going to try and do is to get as many people as we possibly can vaccinated. And that gets to reaching out to the community to convince them that it's safe and appropriate and important for them to get vaccinated.
0: Okay. so once a person is vaccinated, what is that going to mean for their life on a day-to-day level? Can they go on vacation or to the movies or sing at church?
1: You know, that's a good question because they're living in a community and it depends upon how effective the vaccine is. Because if you have a vaccine that is effective to the point where we'll say 70 percent or so... If it's not necessarily effective in you, what you're gonna have to do is continue to do the public health measures. So what we foresee is that there's gonna be a gradual progression of a combination of the public health measures that we're talking about and the protection that we'll get from a vaccine in the broader community. It's going to be both. It's not going to be one or the other. I feel confident we'll have a vaccine, but that doesn't mean we can throw caution to the wind and say, don't worry about anything because we have a vaccine. We can't do that.
0: So you can sing in church when everybody in your church has taken the vaccine. It's the individual and the community that will bring the choruses back to the country.
1: Right. In other words, if you want to get to some degree of normality, the baseline infection rate in the community needs to get really, really low.
0: What does that baseline level need to be?
1: You know, that level is the level, for example, I had a press conference with Governor Phil Scott of Vermont the other day. The test positivity in Vermont is 0.2%. That's a very, very low level. Now, it's great for Vermont. The only trouble is that you want to get the entire country down to that level so that when people travel back and forth from place to place, they don't recede. And once you get the level of infection down really, really low, it almost self-propagates itself to stay low, but you've got to get it low. Once it's way up there, it's tough to get it down.
0: What is that for the country? Is that 5,000 cases a day or 2,000?
1: I would imagine you're talking about a really low level, like way low, 1,000, 100 or what have you. That's what I'm talking about. Hundreds of cases, thousands, but not 20, 30, 40,000 cases a day.
0: So this makes the vaccine sound more complicated than the silver bullet that we're all hoping it will be so we can kind of get back to life as normal
1: it will be a very very important tool to get us back to life that we would consider close if not actually normal
0: but using that tool successfully will have some challenges that's after the break Dr. Fauci, now let's talk about some of the challenges the vaccine rollout could face. Polls have shown that as many as one out of three Americans don't want to take a coronavirus vaccine, in some cases because of how fast it's being developed. What do you say to those concerns? And also, if I can add, the concerns of communities of color that have historic distrust of the medical establishment.
1: Those are two good questions. Let me just accept the first one. The speed is not because of cutting corners that have to do with safety. The speed of whereby we went from getting the sequence on the 10th of January to actually starting vaccine development on the 15th and 62 days later getting into a phase one trial we're taking what's called financial risks. Instead of doing things sequentially, you say we're gonna invest hundreds of millions of dollars to assume that each step is correct. Because if you do that, that allows you to save months and months. The other thing is you start producing vaccine in large quantities before you know it even works. Because if it does work, you've saved months. If it doesn't work, you've lost a lot of money. So it's the investment in money. It's the risking finances. It's not risking safety, and it's not compromising scientific integrity. And the second part of your question is that's why it's important to get a good representation of minorities in the forms of African Americans and Latinx and Native Americans and others to participate in the clinical trial so that when the clinical trial shows we have a safe and effective vaccine, we can say yes. And we also tested it in minority subject and it was safe and it was effective in minorities. That's how you get people to appreciate that you're dealing with them on an equal basis and you want them to be protected.
0: And as we think about rolling out the vaccine and building public trust in a vaccine, there's also the matter of our memory, that our experiences in coronavirus was not having enough testing or enough PPE. So how can the public be confident that a vaccine rollout will go smoothly?
1: You know, it's going to remain to be seen because a lot of effort and a lot of money has been put into that process. That is something that is not in my bailiwick. I develop the vaccines and develop the drugs and do things like that. But the plan that comes out of Operation Warp Speed and the logistics of the supply chain and the distribution are now under the broad leadership of General Gustav Perna. And from the money and the logistics that have been put into that, we are being promised that we will be able to get that done.
0: One issue in winning the trust of the public is also having them trust you and the scientists and the CDC. A poll came out from the Kaiser Family Foundation showing that trust in you personally and the CDC has fallen sharply since April.
1: Now, 10% for me. It went up with the Democrats and down with the Republicans.
0: Why does trust in scientists matter right now? And what can you do to turn it around?
1: Well, you know, I believe, and I think you're regardless of the numbers that you talk about, I am really pretty well trusted in general. And the reason is because I always talk with a basis that is on evidence and science. You've got to be humble enough and open-minded enough to make the modifications in what you say, as long as the modifications are based on the science and the facts. Because there were things that we did not know early on that we know now that have triggered us, at least me personally as a scientist, to make a change in what I have said. Sometimes that gets misinterpreted as you were wrong then, and now what do you? No, if you say something that's based on the science, you were not incorrect at the time. You would be incorrect if you stuck by your old guns, even though the science was changing. You've gotta be able to use the science and the evidence as it evolves. We're, We're dealing with an evolving situation with this outbreak, even today. We do not know all the answers. That's for sure.
0: All right. So you've been on our show twice before. Right. In April, when the virus was out of control here in New York. And then in July, when the virus was spiking in other parts of the country. And now here we are in September. How would you describe this moment we are in right now?
1: You know, I would describe it as a critical time right now. I mean, again... Let's describe it in a public health standpoint and in a scientific standpoint. From a scientific standpoint, we got a few vaccines in phase three trial. We're moving along. We have a good degree of cautious optimism that that's going to be very helpful. From a public health standpoint, where we are right now is a critical time because we are seeing downticks in certain areas, downticks in cases, downticks in hospitalizations. However, One of the concerns that we have is that we do not rebound back because we become complacent and we start saying, well, we don't have to wear a mask or we can congregate or we can not worry about the public health measures. We've got to get the baseline down lower and lower and lower, particularly as we enter into the fall and winter season. The challenge is gonna be to get through that season without having surges that might occur when many of the things that we're doing outdoors now, we're gonna be forced to doing indoors. And I hope that the country as a whole has a consistent downward trend as we enter into the cold season.
0: Is that possible if not everybody is adhering to social distancing, mask wearing, and not congregating indoors?
1: Yeah, that is going to be difficult. Everyone wants to open the economy. No one wants to lock down. Everybody wants to move forward so that we can get back to some degree of normality. We need to look upon the public health measures as the gateway and the vehicle to opening the economy, not the obstacle to opening the economy. And in a politicized atmosphere, in a divisive atmosphere, that's what we sometimes see, and that is unfortunate. So what we're trying to do is to get the country to pull together, put divisiveness apart, put political things out of the way, and let's, as a country, get down that level to a very, very low level. We can do it with public health and it will be greatly helped by a safe and effective vaccine.
0: Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure.
1: Kate, it's always a pleasure to be with you.
0: That's all for today, Thursday, September 17th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.